Blog Talk Radio. Paleo Hebrew, 
I'm your brother, your host, your friend, as always, Tazapa, and welcome, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Bible Talk, a little show we've been doing here, man, for over 10 years now. Me and my brother in crime, Mighty Mishabba, the water brother for hooking up the broadcast. Shouts out to you. Glad that you are feeling better. Glad that you are uh, healthy. Uh, I want to send shouts out to all of the 12 tribes, man, scattered worldwide and abroad, man. Shouts out to y'all. Hope everybody's healthy. Hope everybody had a good weekend, a good Shabbat. Uh, Sending shouts out also to our affiliated schools. Quattro Zab down in H-Town, the brother uh, Kazakia up in VA, also the brother uh, Zainal up in Rochester, shouts out to Kabakab down in Guatemala, shouts out to our sisters and brothers in Canada, California, and Atlanta. Um, Oh, yeah, and shouts out to the brothers here in San Antonio, led by the brother O'War. So, um, man, a lot going on, man. Busy week, busy day, y'all. My disclaimer, my disclaimer, man. Let me apologize ahead of time. I was really pressed pressed for time, man, um, putting things together for this evening. So it's going to be a little rigid, y'all. It's going to be a little rough. So I just ask that y'all would please bear with me, man. I apologize. but we gonna we gonna get her done, man. We definitely gonna get her done. Um, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's go to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Oh yeah, FYI too, y'all. Um, I do not have a reader. This evening, so y'all gonna be listening to me. Um, Dr. Diet is under the weather. Actually, prayers to be sent up for her. Believe she has COVID. The grandbaby has COVID, and he's spread it throughout the crib. The pa is under the weather also. So I ask y'all, please send. CC is sick too. CC is sick also. So we're kind of going through it over on this side, man. Um, three of the family members, four if you include the baby, who caused this. <laughs> uh, ask for prayers, y'all. Y'all send prayers up. For speedy recoveries, man. The most high definitely going to bring us to it. Um, if we believe how that faith. That he will, he will do it. So just ask for y'all prayers for that. Um, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily, y'all, so we can get the hell on, man. 
get away from this demonic, satanic. He's what was uh, what duck was that? Daffy Duck. He's despicable. Wait, it's a hell on man. Uh, Psalm chapter one eighteen verse twenty four. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most I brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it. Please believe me. All right, y'all. A lot going on, a lot to unpack. Um, <clears throat> we're in the season of wickedness once again, man. It seems like every few months we're in the season of wickedness, of paganism and idolatry and it's filth uh, component called Babylon. My goodness, man. Uh, The season now being in uh, Mati Gras, which is the worship of all the uh, pantheon of pagan gods, man, basically. All of them just roll up into one. They go by different names. Um, and then, too, I should have put something together on this. But I want y'all to um, – oh, Michelle, the water. I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to get it. The water for that, sir. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, I want y'all to, to uh, med- meditate on this and scratch your head on this one and then go do your research, man. But why is it that Mardi Gras, Valentine's Day, and Easter are all pretty much around the same time every year? Because it's demonic. And like I said, it's part of the idolatry of the... Um, pagan pantheon, man. That's really what it is, y'all. Do your research. All right, man. So let me go ahead and get into it. Um, look to this one. This first article coming up. Oh, yeah, and I forgot the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I can't leave that out because that kicks it off. You got the Super Bowl, um, what was it, last weekend. And then this upcoming weekend, you got um, the All-Star. It's All-Star weekend. This is not a coincidence, y'all. This this all goes back to, and you can read about it in the Apocrypha, um, the Feast of Bacchus, all of that. It's it's all rolled up into one. Because when you, when you uh, do your research on the Feast of Bacchus, it, it tells you how um, – the Greeks and the Romans would have festivals and games around this time of year, man. It's no different here in Babylon the Great, also known as America, because they have games around this time of year. No different than um, all the bowl games that they just had around uh, Nimrod time, around Christmas. It's the same thing, man. It just keeps repeating itself. And what's interesting about this is they're really interesting. It's really shameful is that these people that call themselves Christians, they'd be the main ones celebrating this nonsense, man. And y'all see it. It's coming up. Lent, 
Ash Wednesday when they run around looking like uh, people out of some damn satanic movie with this ash on their head, looking crazy as hell. And then Lent, where they supposed to be uh, fasting from all their vices. So how long is Lent supposed to be, our guy? Like 30 days? No, hold up. 40. It's 40 days. And they say that this is synonymous with the 40 days and 40 nights that Christ fasted. Come on, man, stop. It's paganism. Fine, is this that noise? I'm going to cut that off. Whatever that is, turn it off. It's paganism at its finest, y'all. Anyway, uh, this first article I'm about to read, y'all, is from NPR. Um, and I meant to get this a couple weeks back. And now it's interesting. It says that it's from April 29, 2022. But when I originally pulled it, it said it was from this year. But anyway, I'm going to read it anyway. It says, how the tobacco industry targeted black Americans with menthol smokes. All right. And we all familiar with the menthols, whether it's the new pulps, the cools, the Virginia Slims, the Benson and Hedges, the uh, the GPCs, also known as grown people cigarettes. That's what my sister refers to it as. All menthol, man. It's like, like niggas is addicted to menthol cigarettes. First of all, you ain't supposed to be defiling your temple with the damn smoke anyway. Secondly, they targeting your stupid butt. They targeting you. Your enemy is targeting you, killing you off slowly. It says there, there is an ad for Newport cigarettes from 2011 that features a black, a young black couple smiling and flirting over a plate of burgers and fries. Beneath them simply reads the tagline, pleasure. A different ad in this campaign has another young black couple smiling over a park fence by some uh, rafters while one of them holds a cigarette. Another ad features, yes, another young black couple smiling and laughing, this time at a coffee shop. And I'm seeing the ads and showing all of them. It says menthol cigarettes have been historically heavily marketed towards black Americans, and that's had a strong enough impact that when the Food and Drug Administration proposed a ban on menthol cigarettes yesterday, the agency specifically noted that the move would save the lives of 92,000 to 238,000 African Americans. So, the uh, FDA proposed a ban on menthol cigarettes. Now, listen to this. It's a long time coming, said Keith Willow, author of the book published, Cool, Big Tobacco, Racial Marketing, and the Untold Story of the Menthol, menthol Cigarette. In 1964, federal regulators barred tobacco companies from advertising to their key youth demographics. That meant no advertising on college campuses, no handing out free loose cigarettes to people under 21. It's then that the industry began to pivot aggressively towards targeting marketing in black communities, said Willow. 
And this is true, man. I don't know if this article goes into it, but do y'all remember when y'all was little and they used to sell this little box of candy that was packaged in a cigarette packaging, and you would get that little cigarette out, the little fake uh, candy cigarette, and you puff on it, and then if you blew hard enough, the little sugar powder would come out of the damn cigarette. Do y'all remember this? I'm going old school. I'm telling my age right now. But, yes, they had they actually had this. And you would see kids everywhere with these damn things. It was like it was what they call today's term. It was trendy. <laughs> Every kid was doing it. I don't care what age you was. If you were old enough to hold that cigarette between your fingers, you was doing it. And you would be mimicking your parents or your aunties or whoever. I was one of them kids included. I remember mimicking my daddy. He used to smoke the more menthol cigarette. Menthol, once again. My auntie, Aunt Joyce, she used to smoke. Uh, I forget which brand, but she used to smoke. We'd be mimicking her also. But as a kid, I could remember these things. And you don't think about this stuff as a child, but you look back on it, it's like, damn. They really did a good job marketing children to grow up to be their customers, man. And I hope, I hope y'all are seeing it that the whole white supremacy power structure are together. They're not, they might be different uh, sections, but they're the same entity with the same goal in mind to kill us off. Anyway, reading on, it says uh, a lot of black people periodicals like Ebony became so dependent on tobacco advertisers that they were silent on the devastating impact of smoking in the black community, he said. And I remember them damn ass too. And it wasn't just Ebony. It was Jet Magazine and any other black magazine you want to think of. Even the hip-hop magazines would have uh, smoking companies being their heavy sponsors in their ass all throughout the damn magazines, man. Essence Magazine, yeah. And they would make it look cool. But and it says and it's, it's telling you that our people would turn a blind eye to this, even though our people in our communities were dying and still dying from smoking damn cigarettes. But it's all about that money. We will sell our damn souls for a buck and our nation with it. It says and the push went beyond just imagery in magazines and billboards. Tobacco industry specifically found influencers in black communities. Wallow said it could be a barber, a bellhop, and gave them free samples to build markets. Uh, markets. To, uh, what is this? So, I don't know this word, so I'm sorry. And basically to build their market up. This, you know what this sounds like and what this actually is? This is the dope man. The dope man will give you samples. Y'all don't believe me? It's something I'm not proud of. Been there, done that. Y'all do y'all own research. Y'all remember the uh, TV show, The Wire? I was in. Uh, I was hooked. Go back and watch the shows. They would give free testers out to the dope things for them to test it, so they could see how how good of a product that they had, and they could keep people coming back to them. How you get people hooked on stuff? You give them a free sample. 
like you go in the grocery store and you see somebody at the door or when you come through the door, they cooking some or they got some wine or they got some and they offering you a free sample. You go Costco, uh, H-E-B, uh, who's the other person? Don't say I'm going to do the free sample stuff too. Of course. All of them is Trader Joe. Trader Joe. All of them doing the free samples so they can get you hooked on their product. They give it to you for free, though, to keep you coming back. This is the same strategy that uh, Big Tobacco used, the number one dope dealer. Now, I ain't going to say number one because right now it's pharmaceuticals uh, with these opioids. I guess they would be number two. But they slang in two. This is what the dope man do. This is legal dope man activity, but they lock thousands upon thousands and thousands, if not millions of black and brown people up for selling their supposed, uh, supposedly, what they call them, uh, illegally, uh, illegally, illegal, uncontrolled substances. That's what they call them. Uh, reading on, it says the companies also sponsor e- events like the Cool Jazz Festival. And y'all have seen that too, where you have a cigarette company advertise a damn jazz festival. Or don't they do the Taste New? I mean, not the Taste New Orleans, the uh, Essence Festival is sponsored yeah. by uh, Big Tobacco? I don't think so, not anymore. Not anymore, huh? Mm-hmm. Used to be, though. And it's probably still some degradating, uh, demonic. Sponsor that they got somewhere. They like um, probably vape now. Is he probably vape? Probably Xanax is the sponsor. Percocet. Uh, what's some other damn pills? Uh, Molly's. The other, the over, other over the counter. Um, Vicodin. All that stuff. Probably they sponsor. They the sponsors now. It says that include. And add a Dizzy Gillespie next to a pack of cools. So this is my old school jazz festival. It says, according to a 2018 national survey on drug use and health, 85% of black smokers prefer menthol cigarettes. And if you're familiar with the menthol cigarette, man, the menthol cigarette had a, a, a sweet um, taste to it. And it almost makes you feel like you were, um, like you had one of those candies in your mouth, those uh, peppermint candies, because it gave you that that cool feeling. It's like a uh, almost in the mind frame of remember them old school nose inhalers when you when you were congested, you take the the inhaler and go like that in one nostril. They still got them right. But that's kind of the feeling that you get when you hit a menthol cigarette. But it's laced with the tiller tobacco and all the other plastics and uh, what's that crap they put into it? Um, they make cars out of it. Fiberglass. Fiberglass they put into tobacco. I know they definitely put it into the chewing tobacco uh, years, years, years ago, man, when I was uh, working. AT and T. I used to work with a bunch of uh, white boys, and uh, this is a correct cat I used to work with. He used to chew this tobacco. Man, this is the most disgusting thing ever. I remember my auntie, ain't uh, I think it was was it Aunt Dan that used to chew the tobacco. I think that was her name. She used to chew it. Oh, and I remember. Uh, 
I ain't proud of this. I was a kid, and she used she used to keep her uh, tobacco, like in like Coke cans and soda cans and stuff like that. I call myself being sneaky, trying to drink some of her soda, Ew. and I drank all that mess that she had spit in that damn can, man. Ew. But anyway, uh, back to the story. Dude, I used to work with told me that they they put fiberglass. And he knew this, that they put fiberglass into the chewing tobacco because it cuts your gums. It leaves little cuts on your gums so you can inhale the nicotine quicker into your bloodstream, man. Tell you, man, Esau, the devil. Now people falling for it. Hook, line, and sinker. It says the FDA had banned flavored cigarettes from being manufactured or sold in 2009, but menthol cigarettes slipped by because of a split in the black congressional caucus. <laughs> Many of whom looked to campaign don't looked to campaign donations and support said wallow. So the black congressional caucus. I believe the Rainbow Coalition is down with them too. They let this slide for a dollar, man. Like I said, our people will sell each other out, man, for some money. All day, every day. These are niggas at the highest level, <laughs> the government level. All right, we know it says yesterday's move by the FDA was in, in, encouraged, excuse me, by the NAACP, which sent out a statement early in the week nodding the tobacco industry's erroneous uh, marketing practices, including giving out free cigarettes. This pattern of activity continues today with expanded marketing strategies like supporting and providing sponsorship funding for events, supporting various black leaders with financial support, discounting menthol products in black neighborhoods, and abundant advertising in stores frequented, frequented by black communities, reads the statement, which notes that the NAACP itself received funding from the tobacco industry until two decades ago. So, 20, 20 years ago, the NAACP, the National Advancement, the, what is it? The National Achievement Advancement the for Color, Color the National Association, the National Association for the Advancement of Color People was receiving big tobacco money. 20 years ago. And this organization, do you research, the NAACP, was actually started by the small hats. Did y'all know that? And small hats, by me, by small hats, I mean the fake Jews, also known as the Jewish people. Let me give it a second. Let me see if Blog Talk cut me off. Oh, they let it go. They let it go, too. Usually when I talk about them, they cut me off. Anyway, According to the FDA's proposal, the menthol, the menthol enhanced nicotine's addictiveness, and the flavor market makes the cigarettes easier to use. The industry, according to Wallow, knows them to be great starter products. Oh, wow. That's the end of the article. Okay, cool. I had a little bit more. 
All right, y'all. So I want to couple this article with. We're going to go to the apocrypha. <clears throat> Let's get Judith. The book of Judith in the apocrypha, chapter 5. Now, I'm going to paint because we ain't going to read this whole chapter. Matter of fact, let me start at verse 1. It says, Then was it declared to Holifer, captain of the army of Ashur, that the children of Israel had prepared for war and had shut up the, the passages of the hill country and had fortified all the tops of the, the high hills and had laid impediments in the champion countries, wherewith he was very angry, and called all the princes of, the princesses of Moab and the captains of Ammon and all the governors of the seacoast. So these are lots of kids, uh, today Chinese and uh, Japanese people. And what's going on is the Israelites are about to go to war against these nations, because they're not going to bow down. Verse 3, And he said unto them, Tell me now, ye sons of Canaan, who this people is that dwell in the hill country, and what are the cities that they inhabited, and what is the multitude of their army, and where is their power and strength, and what king is set over them or captain of their armies? So this dude, Holofern, is asking for intel on our nation, on the Israelites, on our ancestors. It says, and why have they determined not to come and meet me more than all the inhabitants of the West? So the Israelites was not going to bow down and not uh, not going to pay tribute to the Moabites. This is what he's going into. Uh, verse 5. Then said Achar, the captain of all the, the sons of Ammon, let my Lord now hear a word from the mouth of thy servant, and I will declare unto thee the truth concerning this people which dwell near thee and inhabit the hill countries, and there shall no lie come out of, my, come out of the mouth of thy servant. Now listen to this. He's given he's this cat, Holifer, the lowdown on our people. This people are descendants of the Chaldeans. Because remember, we came out of the land of the Chaldeans, our forefather Abraham, which was Babylon. Verse 7, and they sojourned hitherto in Mesopotamia, which means between the rivers, because they would not follow the gods of their fathers, which were in the land of Chaldea. So Abraham would not be a pagan, an idolatry. Verse 8. For they left the way of their ancestors and worshiped the God of heaven. When it says that we left the ways of our ancestors, remember, you go back to Genesis, I believe it's the 12th chapter where the Most High tells, uh, tells Abraham to get from, from out of his country and from around his kinsmen and his kinfolks. And this is the reason why, because they were idolaters. It says, verse 8 again, For they left, left the way of their ancestors and worshiped the God of heaven, the God whom they knew, so they cast them out from the face of their gods, and they fled into Mesopotamia and sojourned there many days. Verse 9. Then their God commanded them to depart from that place. And this is what I was referring to. Matter of fact, let me just get it, y'all, for everybody's reference. Make sure I got the right chapter. <clears throat> Genesis 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So this is what uh, this dude, what's the name, Achor, this is what he's talking about right here in verse 9. I'm going to read this again. Once again, y'all, reference is Genesis 12 and verse 1. Uh, now we're going back to Judah, chapter 5, verse 9. Then their God commanded them to depart from the place where they sojourned and to go into the land of Canaan, or Canaan, where they dwelt and were increased with gold and silver and with very much cattle. So the land of Canaan is talking about where Abraham ended up at and where our forefathers, forefathers Isaac and Jacob ended up at. And we were increased. We had a lot of riches. You can go back and read the story how Abraham and Lot had so much, so many, so many riches that it wasn't enough land for their cattle to eat off of. So they had to make a decision, and they uh, they they parted ways. Verse ten. But when the famine covered all the land of, of Canaan, they went down into Egypt. This is Abraham and sojourned there while while they were nourished and became there a great multitude, so that one could not number their nation. You know, therefore the king of Egypt rose up against them. So it's talking about our transition when we became a, um, when we had uh, numerous things in the land of Canaan, but then we migrated to Egypt by way of Joseph being sold into bondage by um, our patriarchs, our brothers, by his brothers, our ancestors. And we became a mighty nation there in Egypt. Verse 11, therefore the king of Egypt rose up against them and dealt subtly with them and brought them low with laboring and brick and made them slaves. This is Exodus, the first chapter. Verse 12, then they cried unto their God, and he smote all the land of Egypt with incurable plagues. So the Egyptians cast them out of their sight. This is once again still in Exodus, and this is talking about the ten plagues of the most high stone of the Egyptians. Verse 13, and God dried the Red Sea before them and brought them to Mount Sinai and Cadiz Barnim and cast forth all that dwelt in the wilderness. Verse 15, so they dwelt in the land of the Amorites and they destroyed and they destroyed by their strength all them of Esteban and passing over Jordan, they possessed all the hill country and they cast forth before them the, the Canaanites and the uh, Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Shechemites, and all the Gergesites, and they dwelt in that country many days. So it's talking about when the Most High gave us the promised land. We came in, we killed off these nations. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7, I believe. It says, And, which, and whilst they sin not before their God, they prosper. So it says when we when we didn't sin, when we didn't break the law, we prospered. Because the God that had iniqu the God that hated iniquity was with them. But when they departed from the way which he appointed them, they were destroyed in many battles, very sore, and and were led captives into a land that was not theirs, and the temple of their God was cast to the ground and their cities were taken by the enemy. So this is basically talking about Deuteronomy 12, chapter 28, 
um, Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, and I believe Leviticus chapter 26, 27, I believe. But basically talking about how we didn't keep the law, statutes, and commandments of the Most High, and because we didn't, we went into captivity. So this dude, know, he knows our history. The nation, they know our history. So tying this all together, do the other nations know that by uh, promoting menthol cigarettes to us, that this would put a wedge between us and the Most High because the Most High told us not to defile our temples? And he gave us a moral law, which forbid us to do anything that was immoral. Smoking is immoral because you're destroying what the Most High gave you, what he created. So the nations know this. Hope y'all seeing this. And this has been passed down. Just like our history has been passed down to us, generation to generation, till it was lost. We have, now we got to go in the Bible and look and research and find out who the hell we are. Well, the nations, their history and our history has been passed down from generation to generation. And they ain't got to go search. This stuff has been told to them. It ain't like us where we got to go do 23 and me and all this other nonsense to get a piece of who you are. The nations have their history firsthand by their ancestors. We're the only people history's been uh, hid and washed away. Anyway. Read on, verse 19. But now are they returned to their God and or come up from the places where they were scattered and have possessed Jerusalem, where their sanctuary is, and or seated in the hill country, for it was desolate. So he's saying, no, nah, man, right now, they ain't breaking the law. They back in the most high's good graces. He says, now, therefore, my Lord and governor, if there be any error in this people, so he said, man, if you want to catch them tripping and they sin against their God, consider that this shall be their ruin and let us go up and we shall overcome them. They know this. Say, if you can catch them tripping any kind of way, this is the biggest way you get them. Get them to sin against their power, against their God. So get them to pollute their temple. Get them to break dietary laws by eating pork, shrimp, crab, and lobster. And get their leaders that are part of the clergy response team to tell them and get them to believe that the law is done away with. You ain't got to follow the law no more. Christ died and the law was nailed on the cross to him. That nonsense. Get them and their leaders to believe this. Once again, the clergy response team, they work for the government. Do your research. Look it up, y'all. Get them to defile themselves with idolatry by celebrating some damn Valentine's Day, which is the, the celebration of Euros, I believe, in the Roman, and he's in the Greek. He's a Cupid in the Greek. Get them to celebrate these pagan um, deities. Get them to defile themselves by this nonsense. Get them to go to Mardi Gras and be showing uh, their titties so they can get some beads like the white folks do. Get them to go down to, to uh, New Orleans and, and get just pissy drunk and roam the streets and just sleep with whoever and leave it all in, in New Orleans. Get them to go to Vegas and, and say what happens in Vegas. 
days in Vegas. Get them to, to sleep with each other's women and then make songs about how they did it, about how your chick chose me and how I banged your chick out and how your chick did X, Y, Z, and your wife is my baby mama. Get them to defile themselves by breaking your laws. That's how you catch them tripping. Let me read this again. It says, now, therefore, my Lord and governor, if there be any error in this people and they sin against their God, let us consider that this shall be their ruin. And let us go up, and we shall overcome them. They know this. How do you overcome a people? How do you keep a people in chains for over 500 years subservient to you? Divine intervention. Divine intervention. This is the only way, man. The slaves, and y'all go back to DR research, we always outnumber our oppressors. Always. But how is it they were able to keep us in check for so long and still doing it? Because we keep breaking laws, statutes, and commandments. Divine intervention, people. Verse 21. But if there be no iniquity, listen to this. But if there be no iniquity in their nation, meaning everybody's keeping the commandments. We're actually loving each other. We're actually not being pagans. But if there be no iniquity in their nation, let my Lord now pass by, lest their Lord defend them. Wait a minute. Did that really say what I thought it said? Let's read this again, verse 21. But if there be no iniquity in their nation, let my Lord now pass by, lest their Lord defend them. So you mean to tell me if we lock into what the Most High told us to do, keep his law, statutes, and commandments, love each other, not be pagans, not fall into idolatry, he'll defend us? He'll have our backs. He'll keep us from dying. He'll keep us from stressing out. He'll keep us from hating each other. Yes. It says, and their God be for them. And we become a reproach before all the world. Once again, y'all, the other nations know exactly who we are and they know exactly how to keep us defiled so the Most High will not help us. I hope everybody's seeing this, man. All right, y'all. So this is, in fact, Black History Month. Yes, it is. (sighs) So Rapa comes home last week. Yeah, this conversation. He tells me that his teacher um, is doing something for Black History Month, and they have to write about a black person in black history and do a presentation on said person. Now, they don't let the children pick for themselves. No, 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 no. That would be too much like independent thinking. 
too much like rights, too much uh, like let me jog your memories, let me jog your curiosity, let me provoke thoughts. It'd be too much like rights. So they picked the characters for the kids, and they put the characters in a bucket, and the children have to come and pick a character that they can that they want to write about. And I ain't going to say want to write about. It's pretty much the luck of the draw. And I say this because the pod was all butthurt because he picked Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Oprah. He picked Oprah. You know, the same one that uh, Monique is currently dragging through the mud all over the Internet. I'm telling you, man, uh, Shannon Sharp got the Internet once again going nuts. If y'all haven't peeped that interview, that he did with Monique, please do so. Monique, like Cat, is dropping some a lot of dirt on some folks. And it's been a lot of backlash, a lot of people with the feelings hurt, a lot of, a lot of uh, dogs got hit. But anyway, back to the story. So Rapa comes home with this uh, assignment he's butthurt over because he don't even know who Oprah Winfrey is, first of all. Secondly, one of his classmates got Michael Jordan. Now, if y'all know my son, he loves him some basketball. He sit up, watch basketball games, play basketball, 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 basketball. So he's butthurt <clears throat> over having Oprah Winfrey because he wanted Michael Jordan or he wanted some black athlete, which he didn't get. So I'm like, son, I guess you need some help with this, huh? I guess we got to do some research, huh? And he's like, yeah. So needless to say, I'm going to help him out. But I'm saying all this, man, because they're not teaching them this. Our enemies are not going to teach our children this. Going back to my soapbox, this is why we need our own school. That's why we need our own school, y'all. So we can worry about this nonsense, and our children can learn about this right here. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypher, chapter 44, verse 1. Let us now praise famous men and our fathers that begot us. So this day and time, famous men, <laughs> as the school tell it, would be those people that are in that um Full of names. We're going to find out who the real famous men are, who the world-renowned famous men are. It says, verse 2, The Lord had wrought great glory by them through his great power from the beginning, such as did bear rule in their kingdoms. So we find out that famous men, some of them had kingdoms. It says, men renowned for their power. Renowned, that means you're recognized. You're known for your power. It says giving counsel by their understanding. And they were also powerful and known for what? Their understanding. And declaring prophecies. What made these men famous? Because they were powerful. They had the understanding of the Most High. And they had the... the uh, Prophetic knowledge 
of the Most High. This is what makes them famous. Verse 4. Leaders of the people by their counsels. And what also made them famous? They led their people with their counsel. Where is the counsel coming from? From the Most High. From the Most High's word. His inspired, inspirational, informative, knowledgeable, wisdom word. It says, and by their knowledge of learning, meet, the word meet means proper, for the people, wise and eloquent in their instructions, such as found out musical tunes. So it talks about the academic side of these men, their power, their understanding, their wisdom. Then it goes into their musical tunes. <laughs> then it goes into the, the uh, theatrics, to, to the talents. It says musical tunes and recite verses in writing. Verses of what? Scripture. Verse 6, rich men furnished with ability, living peaceably in their habitation. All these were honored in their generations and were the glory of their times. There be of them that have left a name behind them that their praises might be reported. I hope y'all hear this. Their praises might be reported. So what we're going to do this evening, because it is Black History Month, let's go into one of these famous men that are being spoken of. Let's get the Josephus. And we're going to go to page 214, y'all. Um, I'm going to get y'all the book and chapter in case y'all don't have the uh, blue apocrypha. So we're going to Josephus, chapter 214. Now listen to this. And it is uh, Antiquity of the Jews. 8, chapter 2, paragraph 5. Now, the sagacity and wisdom which God had bestowed upon Solomon. So who's the famous man in question? Solomon. Who's the man with understanding and power? Talk about musical tunes? Solomon. That, that could recite verses? Solomon. It says, was so great that he exceeded the ancients meaning the men before his time, he exceeded them. It's King Solomon. It's in the Bible, y'all. Real real character, real figure. Not no fabrication. Wasn't no made-up character. He's real. It says, insomuch that he was no way inferior to the Egyptians. It says he was in no way inferior to the Egyptians because the Egyptians, even this day and time, man, they always want to give the Egyptians all of this credit like, they, their, their learning and their knowledge was just the highest. And it wasn't. Because it also tells us in the Apocrypha how our forefather, Abram, or Abraham, went into Egypt and taught them mathematics. And we'll, we'll get that. We'll get that probably next Tuesday. Now, I'm going to do, do a series on uh, the rest of this month, black history, biblical characters, the real black history. So we'll probably get Abraham next week, Lord willing. But they always talk about the Egyptians, how their knowledge was surpassed everybody in all nations. They say this because 
the Egyptian uh, idolatry, their paganism, which they got from the Babylonians, <laughs> really one and the same people. This is why they always big up the Egyptians, because all the pantheon of pagan gods go back to them and go back to Babylon. But they were not superior in wisdom. I'm going to read this again. Insomuch that he was not no way inferior to the Egyptians, who are said to have been beyond all men in understanding. Nay, which means no. Indeed, it is evident that their sagacity was very much inferior to that of the kings. What king? King Solomon. He also excelled and this, uh, distinguished himself in wisdom above those who were most intimate among the Hebrews. So he was our finest, finest scholar. At that time, for shrewdness, those, I mean, were Ethan and Heman and Choco and Dardan, the sons of Mahal. He also composed books of odes and songs. So remember the, the songs of Solomon? This is in the Bible. A thousand and five and parables and similitudes. We're going to get some of his parables and some of the tools. 3,000, for he spake a parable upon every sort of tree. How you got a parable for every tree? I mean, damn trees it is, but you got a parable for all of them? Now, remember when Solomon uh, prayed to the Most High, he didn't ask the Most High for riches and wealth. He asked the Most High for wisdom. And the Most High blessed him with that. And because he didn't ask for riches and wealth, the Most High gave it to him anyway. So he wasn't just wise, he was rich too. It says 3,000. For he spake a parable upon every sort of tree from the hyssop to the cedar. And in like manner also about beasts. About beast. So he knew about beasts too. So he knew about trees, he knew about beasts. It says about all sorts of living creatures, whether upon the earth or in the seas. So he knew about every living creature. So he knew zoology, y'all. And it talks about the trees. It's known as botany, the study of trees and plants. It says, or in the air. So he knew he knew about aerodynamics. <laughs> it says, for well, he was not unacquainted with any of their natures, nor omitted inquiries about them, but described them all like a philosopher. <laughs> Y'all hear this, right? He was a philosopher. It says, and demonstrated his exquisite, exquisite knowledge of their several properties. So he would break down the properties of animals, plants, nature, the air, the elements. He could do all of this. Reading on. God also enabled him to learn that, that skill which expels demons. Come on, man. Let me read this part again. God also enabled him to learn that skill which expels demons. So our forefather, the greatest king of all times besides Yahushua, Solomon, could expel demons. He could run demons about the people. It says, which is a science useful 
and senative to men. He composed such incarnations also by which are alleviated. So it's basically saying that Solomon could uh, perform exorcisms on people. He could remove spirits, pull spirits off of people. Bad brother. But who blessed him with all of this? The Most High. The Most High blessed him with all this. Now, let's get some fact-checking on the Josephus. Let's see if, if the Josephus, if he was on point with what we just read. So let's go to Wisdom of Solomon in the Apocrypha. And we're going to start as, we're going to go to chapter, chapter 7. And we're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to jump. So this is Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7, in the Apocrypha, y'all. It says, I myself also am a mortal man. This is Solomon speaking. He said, I'm a man. He says, like to all, and the offspring of him that was first made on the earth. So he's talking about he's the offspring of Adam because he was the first man. But he's saying, I'm a mortal man. Now, I read this to show us that we can do all things, like the Scripture says, through Christ who strengthens us, man. We just got to, we got, we have to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice. We have to be willing to go the extra mile to receive these talents that Solomon got. Now, watch this. Solomon said he was a mortal man, but he was capable of these things here. So let's read. Let's jump down to verse 15. Um, God had granted me to speak as I would and to conceive as is meet for the things that are given me because it is he that leadeth unto wisdom. So Solomon is letting us know who gave him all the stuff we just read in Josephus, who gave it to him? The Most High. It says, and directed the wise, Verse 16, for in his hand are both we and our words, all wisdom also, and knowledge of workmanship. So the Most High has got all wisdom. He's got all knowledge of workmanship. He's got all knowledge. We just have to, like I said, be willing to get it, to obtain it. Verse 17, for he has given me certain knowledge of the things that are, namely, so Solomon says the Most High given him certain knowledge. Then he's going to name the the, uh, the knowledge or the know-how that the Most High gave him. He said, namely, to know how the world was made. So Solomon said the Most High showed him how the world was made. It says in the operation of the elements. So Solomon was a chemist. He was a chemist. I hope you all seeing this. He knew how the elements work. We just read it in the Josephus. It says he had knowledge of the air, right? Verse 18. The beginning, ending, and myth of times. Woo! So Solomon was a prophet also because he knew the beginning. He knew about Adam. He knew what went down in the garden. It says the ending. So Solomon knows how the world's going to end. He knows how Christ is going to come back and destroy his enemies. Solomon knows all of this stuff because the Most High showed it to him. It says, and midst of the times, Solomon knows what? The Middle Ages, also known as the Medieval Times or the Dark Ages. He knows all of this. This stuff that was before his time, after his time, he still knew it because the Most High gave it to him. 
It says the alterations of the turning of the sun. What do they call that? Uh, astrology? Solomon knows astrology or new astrology. It says, and the change change of seasons. So Solomon knew, um, they call it the study of the change of seasons. Tell me out, y'all. What is the study of the change of seasons called? If you're listening, Google it real quick. Shoot it to me. The circuit of years. Okay. What is the study of the circuit of years called? Look that one up too, y'all. And the positions of stars. We know that is what? Um, what they call it? Astrology, right? The nature of living creatures and the fury of wild beasts. So this is this is zoology, but uh, man is man himself is a living creature, right? So he knew he knows the uh, knew the mentality of men. He knew how men acted, their mental state. So Solomon was also a, a what they call a psychologist. He says the violence of winds. That's meteorology, I believe. Or the gesturing, one of them. It says, and the reasoning of men, here it is, psychology. He was a psychologist. The diversities of, of plants, botany, and the virtues of roots, once again, botany. All, I'm sorry, and all such things as are either secret or manifest, them I know. Solomon knew all of this stuff. Whether these things were secret, but whether they was manifest, Solomon knew this. So the thing that we don't know, bits and pieces of pieces of the Bible that we don't have, guess who got it? Guess who know it? Solomon. We know. It says, For wisdom, which is the work of all things, taught me. For in her is an understanding spirit, holy, one only manifold, subtle, lively, clear, undefiled, plain, not subject to hurt. Listen to what he's saying about wisdom, y'all. Let me back up a little bit. He says that wisdom is lively, it's clear. It's clear. It says undefiled, plain. What does plain mean? It's simple. It's simple to understand, man. People want to make stuff deep and complicated. Don't make it deep and complicated. Make it to where people can understand it. Make it simple. They have an acronym for that. It's called KISS, which means keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple. You want somebody to understand it? Keep it simple. If a child can understand it, it's simple. And because the simplicity of it, like the scriptures tell us, the simplicity of Christ, that's what's going to make it deep. It says loving, I'm sorry, plain, not subject to hurt, loving the thing that is good, quick, Rich, which cannot be let it, ready to do good, kind to man, steadfast, sure, free from care, having all power, overseeing all things, and going through all understanding, pure and most subtle spirits. For wisdom is more moving than any motion. She passes and goes through all things by reason of her pureness. For she is the breath of the power of God and a pure influence flowing from the glory of the Almighty. Therefore, can no defiled thing fall into her, for she is the brightness of the everlasting light, the unspotted mirror of the power of God, and the image of his goodness. So this is Solomon telling us 
everything the Most High blessed them with. And why he knew all of these things, why he was a chemist, why he was a, bot- a botanist, why he was a, psycholo- a psychologist, why he was a zoologist. He tells us where he got all these talents from. He got them from the Most High's wisdom, verse 27. And being, put, and being but one, she can do all things, and remaining in herself, she make it all things new. Now, before everybody gets a scratch in their head and um, saying that the Most High is a woman, no. Remember, he's talking about wisdom, and he's referring to wisdom as a she because the Most High deals with us this way. He deals with men by giving us something we can relate to. What could be more precious and more valuable than to a man and a woman? This is why he's using the analogy of women, a woman comparing, uh, comparing a woman to wisdom because women are sought after. Women are desirable. He's saying we're supposed to desire wisdom, the most high wisdom, the same way we desire a fine woman, a fine woman with the, the slim waist, cute in the face, the brick house. The, when you see like, ooh, sheesh. We're supposed to desire wisdom the same way we would desire a woman. This is why he's talking about she, referring to wisdom as a she, something desirable. All right, reading on, uh, verse 27. And being but one, she can do all things, and remaining in herself, she maketh all things new. And in all ages, entering to holy souls, she maketh them friends of God and prophets. For God loveth none but him that dwelleth with wisdom. Who's God love? The man that dwells with wisdom, the man that uses wisdom in his everyday life, in his everyday approach. Verse 29, for she is more beautiful, she is more beautiful than the sun. Once again, you see how he's using the analogy of a beautiful woman to define wisdom, to, so you, to put you in that mental space so you can understand. It's no different than y'all seen that movie, uh, movie Hall of Nights, <laughs> and what did they call uh, the girl who played Sunshine? What did they? Man, I gave it away already. They called her Sunshine. And then you go back to the movie. Why did they call her Sunshine, y'all? Why did they call her Sunshine? Because she was sitting on on, on Sunshine. I'm keep the PG. Where the Most High is comparing wisdom, giving wisdom that same analogy. For she is more beautiful than the sun, and above all the order of stars, being compared with the light, she is found before it. For after this come at night, but vice shall not prevail against wisdom. So this is a famous man. Solomon was a famous man. So the real black history is the black history that's contained in the Bible. All right, now let's go to, uh, I wasn't even supposed to read that for. Where I said I wanted to go. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 10. The water machine for this too. <clears throat> Making good time. 1 Kings chapter 10, I think anyway. And let's go to verse 14. Now, with the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred three score and six talents of gold. Now, we already got Solomon's wisdom. We already got all the stuff he knew. 
Now we're reading about his riches and how he was balling out, man. The most high blessed him with all of this. And we're going to get to Solomon, Solomon was a handsome cat. So Solomon had the whole package. Handsome, smart, and he was bald. You talking about a catch. What woman what woman wouldn't want that? I'm sorry. The women of this age wouldn't want that. All you gotta do in this this day and age is be half cute. Be half cute. You can be half cute, have have half a job or no job <laughs> and uh just tell her how fine she is. And she'll love you to death. She'll love your daddy draws. Yeah, matter of fact, you can beat on her. You can beat on her. You can treat her like crap. You can take all her money. You can pimp her out. Get her strung out on dope. And she lay her dirty drawers, man. She lay her dirty drawers. This is how degenerate our women are this day and age. They will take anything. But then they complain about a man that uses God's wisdom that keeps them from destroying themselves and ain't going to leave you. <laughs> ain't going to leave you because God said not to leave you. But women don't appreciate that. They want the nigga Ty that's just going to come through every now and again and beat it up. Leave you with a wet tail and broke. <laughs> and don't give you no instruction. <laughs> don't 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 solve none of your issues, none of your problems. Oh, but he li- he listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stop clowning, man. Anyway, back to Solomon. First uh, Kings chapter ten, verse fourteen. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred three score and six talents of gold. Besides that. He had of the merchants and of the traffic of the spice merchants and all and of all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. Man, Solomon had it on lock. Why ain't this being taught for Black History Month? Who was more, name somebody somebody in Black so-called Black history that had more clout than Solomon? Tell me. You can throw Mansa Musa out there. Mansa Musa had money. He had uh, exuberant amounts of wealth. But he wasn't wise like Solomon. He didn't have stuff on lock like Solomon. He was the king of Mali. But look at Mali now. One of the poorest countries in Africa. Reading on verse 15. Besides that, he had of the merchants, I'm sorry, I read that, verse 16. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold, 600 shekels of, uh, of gold went to one target. <laughs> Come on, refresh my memory. Maybe I'm wrong. When I see the, a target, that's something you use for, like, target practice. Or is it, that's something that's really not important. But he, you mean he... He had he had money like this, to where he made targets out of gold. Six hundred shekels of gold went to one target. Verse seventeen, and he made three hundred shields of beaten gold, 
A shield is something you use when you go to war. It protects you from getting cut up by your enemy's sword or spear. Solomon was making shields out of gold. So when you went to war, you went to war fly. Come on, man. How is this not black history? Three pounds of gold went to one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory. So Solomon's throne, the throne is a seat, basically a chair, a big chair. He made a throne, a big chair of ivory, ivory. You know the stuff that's in elephants' tusks? The thing that uh, Africa had to pass laws against Esau for poaching the uh, Africans' ivory? That stuff. Now, listen to this. So the chair was made out of ivory, but then it goes on. It says, and overlaid it with the best gold. So this brother had a chair made out of ivory and gold. And we really think we're doing something with this uh, Italian level that's been stepped on. Verse 19. The throne has six steps. Come on, man. His chair, to get to his chair, his throne, you had to climb up six step, steps. Now listen to this. The throne has six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind. And there were stays on either side of the place of the seat. And two lions, stays as a staff. And then it talks about how it was round behind. Now when I, when I read this, I get that vision. I don't know if y'all have seen this, but um, uh, what's his name? UEP News, the picture that he took. The, uh, found one of the founders of the Black Panthers. He took a picture where he was in his wicker chair with a round back. I don't know if y'all remember me seeing that picture. But this is the vision that I'm getting of the throne that Solomon had. It had that same round back, but it was made out of ivory and gold. Then it has staves or staves on each side with a damn lion on each side. That would be like his armrest. That's baller. Verse 20. And 12 lines stood, oh, my goodness, there on the one side and on the other side, I'm sorry, on the other upon the sixth step. Damn, that was a big throne, man. He had 12 lions for the 12 tribes. <laughs> That's bad. And on the other and on the other, upon the sixth steps, there was not the like made in any kingdom. Meaning what? No other king had a throne that was this bad. That was this fly. What was it that song? No, 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 no. Uh, triple six, fly. Ah, 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 ah. Solomon was fly as hell. Verse 21. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels, now listen to the drinking vessels, were of gold. So you wonder where uh, the pimps get the little pimp cup from? They got it from Solomon. Oh, and But theirs ain't real. Solomon had pure gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forces of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. Meaning what? Silver wasn't even accounted for. 
silver was nothing. Now, this day and age, pure silver, pure silver is worth something. But back in Solomon's time, silver was nothing. He was all about that gold. Verse 22. For the king has set a navy of Tarshish. Tarshish is talking about Spain, y'all. Which the navy of Haram, once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver, ivory, apes, peacock. Solomon was balling. Come on, he had a he had a whole navy. This king had a whole navy. Now we already went over what the most high blessed him with, wisdom wise, how he was a psychologist, he was a zoologist, a botanist, a meteorologist, um he was all of those ologists. He knew all of this. But look at the numerous amounts of wealth that Solomon had. To where he had his own navy. This is verse 23. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. So he wasn't no dumb balling nigga. He was a smart, balling black man. You get niggas today, I mean, they're making 20 mil, 190 mil, 200 mil, 300 mil a year, some more than that. Dumb as a box of rocks. Ain't got no damn sense. All right, let's go now to the Josephus again. So we're going to go and see the other Jews, chapter 8. I'm sorry, book 8, chapter 7. Let me get the page number for y'all in a minute. <clears throat> Accordingly, 225, y'all, accordingly, there went a great fame all around the neighboring countries, which <clears throat> proclaimed the virtue and the wisdom of Solomon, insomuch that all the kings everywhere were desirous to see him. So Solomon was the most sought after king ever in history. As not giving credit to what was reported on account of its being almost incredible, so these kings had to see him because the reports was too good to be true. Like, man, ain't nobody got it like that. Ain't nobody that smart. Ain't nobody that rich. I got to see this for myself. This is why he constantly had visitors. Remember about the Queen of Sheba came. She had to see, see it for herself. All right. It says, uh, it's not giving credit to what was reported on account of its being almost incredible. They also demonstrated the regard they had for him by the presence they made him. For they sent him vessels of gold and silver. Man, how you get somebody rich to more riches? <laughs> it's nothing else to see. I mean, it's nothing else for them to send, honestly. What they say, what can you give the person that's got everything? 
and purple garments and many sorts of spices and horses and chariots and as many mules for his uh, carriages as they could find proper to please the king's eye by their strength and beauty. This addition, when he made to those chariots and horses, which he had before from those that were set, sent him, augmented the number of his chariots by above 400. So he said he had all this stuff augmented, meaning he had it redone. He basically tricked it out. <laughs> this is how you know this is a brother, man. We do this. We don't ride stock. <laughs> uh, of his chariots by above 400. And remember, chariot was what, y'all? It was a vehicle. It was a mode of transportation. And horses, remember? How you uh, judge a horse's speed this day and age? Horsepower. So basically, Solomon had a lot of cars. <laughs> he had a lot of whips. For he had a thousand before and augmented the number of his horses by 2,000. For he had 20,000 before. Damn. These horses also were so much exercise in order to their making a fine appearance and running swiftly that no others could. Upon the com- the comparisons appear either fine, finer or swifter. But they were at once the most beautiful of all others, and their swiftness was incomparable also. Their rider also were a further ornament to them. Being in the first place, young men in the most delightful flower of their age. So Solomon had riders that was in the in the in their prime. It says, and being in, uh, eminent for their damn for their largeness. So these niggas was yoked, <laughs> big niggas, and. Uh, far taller than other men. Yeah. Solomon had some some yoke niggas, some big yoke niggas, for his, the riders of his horses and chariots. They had also very long heads of hair hanging down. <laughs> wow. <laughs> big yoke brothers with long hair, man. So you think big afros, braids, uh, long hair don't care, locks. Good-looking brothers, and were clothed in garments of tyranny purple, purple the royal color. They had also dust of gold every day sprinkled on their hair. Come on, man. <laughs> you wearing gold dust in your hair? <laughs> Trinidad James, gold all in my hair. What? <laughs> gold all in my chariot. Don't believe me, just watch me. So that their heads sparkle with the reflection of the sunbeams from the gold. Come on, man. That's baller. Ballerific. The king himself rode upon the rode upon a chariot in the midst of these men, still in armor, and had their bows fitted to them. He had on a white garment, so this is the king wore some, and used to take his progress out of the city in the morning. There was a certain place about 50 furlongs distance from Jerusalem, which is called Etham, 
very pleasant. It is in it is in fine gardens, and abounding in uh, rivers of water. Hither did he used to go out in the morning, sitting on high in his chariot. So imagine Solomon in a badass chariot with gold dust in his hair and the sun reflecting off the gold dust. This is black history, y'all. Real black history. Real people. And actually did something and contributed to their nation, man. And I'm not trying to discount the brothers and sisters that uh, came here in the transatlantic slave trade and went on to do great and miraculous things. But you hear all about you hear about them all the time, man. But you never hear about the historical, biblical black figures in the Bible that is really black history, y'all. So y'all, I'm going to transition over to the class, but I'm going to take a brief, very brief intermission, and come back with the class entitled "Never Wax Pale: Aftermath of the Martyrs." I'll be right back, y'all. y'all we are back we are back for those that are tuning in for the first time y'all i do about an hour of news current events classified soapbox in this case uh black history i know i went a little bit over y'all sorry for that 
Uh, but I do about an hour, man, of all those things I just mentioned, and then I get into the sh- a show or a class. And this week's show is titled Never Wax Pale Aftermath of the Martyr. So it's not like Thursday, FYI, where I just do two hours of the topic. Um, so I'm on left with, I got roughly like 30 minutes, I think. I got about 30 minutes, y'all. But uh, that's good enough, man. We can get into it. Um, so this is a series I started quite some time ago. And uh, my attempt was to take us through the captivities of our people, the nation of Israel, um, here in the Western Hemisphere, uh, black, Hispanic, uh, Native American people. Um, and we're scattered all throughout the four corners of the globe. We're not just here in the Western Hemisphere. But that was my uh, attempt to bring us from the captivity that we've been in all the way up to the New Testament. Uh, we covered the... Uh, Persian me captivity, no, we covered the Assyrian, we covered the Slither Kingdom, the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, the Persian me captivity, the Greek captivity, all the way up to the time of Christ in the Roman captivity, and we deal with, uh, dealt with um, Christ, his fight that he had against his own people, our own people, the Pharisees, the essence, the scribes, the Sadducees, all up to the death of Christ, then we got the death of the apostles, all right? So we're going to revisit that this evening, also the death of Christ, but we're going to read how it was prophesied in the Old Testament. So let's go to Second Ezra chapter 7, or in the Apocrypha, I should say. Second Ezra chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 27, and it reads, And whoso... Ever is delivered from the foresaid evils shall see my wonders. Verse 28. This is the verse I want to focus the key in on, y'all. It says, For my son Jesus shall be revealed with those that be with him. Now, this Jesus is actually talking about our anointed Savior, who the world calls Jesus Christ, but we know him as Yahweh Shai. This is actually talking about him. It says, and they that remain shall rejoice within 400 years. So it's talking about Christ being born, and it's talking about those that were going to rejoice with Christ 400 years. Now, this 400-year time period, y'all, is from Ezra to the time of Christ. Once again, this 400-year time period is from Ezra. Ezra to the book of Christ. Now, Ezra, also known as Ezra, all right, is Ezra in the Greek, and the Hebrew is Ezra. So same people, same people, y'all. So y'all can go to um, the book of uh, Ezra in the Bible, and um, you can also go to the book of Ezra in the Apocrypha, which it is two more books, um, and also a lot of times they like to say uh, count Nehemiah as one of the books of Ezra. So all in all, you got Nehemiah, you got Ezra, you got First Ezra, Second Ezra. So they like to say it's about four books of Ezra. All right. 
right, but this 400-year time period, we just again, uh, Second Ezra chapter 7, verse 28. For my son Jesus shall be revealed with those that be with him, and they that remain shall rejoice within 400 years. So once again, this 400-year time period is from the time of Ezra all the way to the time of Christ. Now, I want to bring this in, y'all. This is the BibleJourney.org, all right? The BibleJourney.org, and it goes, it says, where are we at right now? The Exile and Restoration of Jerusalem. So the Exile and Restoration of Jerusalem, and it reads, 536 B.C., work begins on rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. So the temple begins, the work on the temple the rebuilding of the temple started in 536 B.C., all right? So 536 B.C., and we're going to skip forward. Bear with me. We're going to skip forward to the birth of Christ, which happened in, they have it between the six or 5th century B.C. is the birth of Christ. So, once again, this 400 years is from the time of Christ, I'm sorry, from the time of Ezra. And remember, Ezra was, let me go back again and get it. Should have wrote this down. <clears throat> 536 all the way to the 5th or 6th century. Timeline, y'all, is roughly about 400 years. That timeline is roughly about 400 years, all right? Now, let's prove this. Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 1 and we were verse 17. Listen to this. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Now, a generation, y'all, and I looked this up. Y'all can look it up too. A, gener- a generation, man, I get my battery, I mean my charger. A generation is roughly 20 to 30 years. A generation is roughly 20 to 30 years. I'm going to say 30 years just to be on the safe side. So it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. So remember what, what a generation is, about 30 years. So what we're going to do is we're going to add, uh, I'm sorry, multiply, uh, excuse me, 14 times 30, and that will give us 400 and 20 years, y'all. It gives us 420 years. So 
It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Now, that's just from uh, uh, Abraham to David, to King David. That's 14 generations. It's about uh, about 420 years. It says, and unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. So from the time of David, you had the time of David, you had the split of the kingdom under his son Solomon, and then you had the Babylonian captivity. He said that is 14 generations. So from David's time period all the way up to the Babylonian captivity was about 420 years because that's 14 generations. We know. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ for 14 generations. So from the time of the Babylonian captivity, now, in between, because this, this verse skipped the captivity, skipped the Persian Mede captivity. But from the Babylonian captivity all the way to the time of Christ is 14 generations. And once again, a generation being roughly about 30 years. So that's 420 years, y'all. I hope y'all are seeing this. Now, when, is, when was Ezra around? Ezra was around during the Persian Mede captivity. He was one of the brothers that went back as well as uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was actually the governor. And I had that too. Matter of fact, do I want to get that? Let's see, y'all. Hold on. Yeah, let's get that. Let's get Nehemiah. Get Nehemiah chapter five. And this, the Bible is not in any uh, chronological order, but some of it actually is, y'all. This is why you have Ezra and Nehemiah right next to each other because they were contemporaries. They lived around the same time. Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to not, that we return all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. So this was the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the wall. Because Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, I believe it was uh, Xerxes he used to cut bear for. He sent them back. He sent them back to help rebuild the first temple. Oh, I'm sorry, the second temple. All right, reading on. It says, return all of us into the wall, everyone into his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants walked in the work and the other half of them held boots the shields and the bows and the the har, har, ooh, har harbians and the rulers were behind all the 
all the house of Judah, that which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laden, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other had held a weapon. So what's going on right here is we re- we rebuilding the temple, but the other nations are coming against us and giving us such a hassle. So where we had to work under duress, we were in a hostile environment, to where we had to be working with one hand and have a weapon ready to fight in case they start tripping in the other hand. Verse 18. Oh, let me see if the point I'm going to get to is in here. Come on, man. Where is it at? Hold on for a second, y'all. Man, I'm going to chop it. Um, it's chapter five, not yeah, not chapter four. Let me read verse fourteen. It's all good because it goes right along with it. It says, verse fourteen. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor, this is Nehemiah still speaking. From the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year even unto the two and thirteenth year of Xerxes, the king. That is that is twelve years. So he was appointed by Xerxes to be the governor over Judea or Judah at this particular time. And one of the brothers that went back, it says, "I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor, but the former governors." And this is the problem that was happening. The former governors, which were Israelites, that had been before me, were chargeable unto the people. And had taken of them bread and wine besides forty shekels of silver, yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I, because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall, neither brought brought we any land, brought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. So he's saying, man, I didn't take nothing from the people. I didn't extract extract, uh, extract usury from the people. I was basically being a good governor and doing my job, and the brother was. But the point I'm bringing out is that, like I said, Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. They were around the same captivity when Cyrus had issued a decree uh, to send us back, and he was the king of the Persian Meat Empire, to send us back to rebuild the temple. So he he was there. He was a contemporary of uh, Ezra, as well as Joshua, um, Haggai, Zechariah, um, the brother of Zerubbabel. All of them was there. And this, like I said, was about 400 years before Christ. That's the point, about 400 years before Christ. Now, going back to Second uh, Ezra, chapter 7, and verse 28 again, for my son Jesus shall be revealed with those that be with him, and they that remain shall rejoice within 400 years. The day that is going to remain and rejoice is all the people that knew about the coming of Yahweh Shot, that knew the prophecy. Verse 29, and after these years, 
shall my son die and all men that have life. So he said after this time period, uh, this 400-year time period, Christ was going to die. He says, and all men that have life. So let's deal with Christ dying first. Um, where I want to go. Let's go to verse 53. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read to 3, and we're going to jump. So Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, who have believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form of comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him. So this is the report. This is why he says who's going, to be, who's going to believe the report. This is the report about Christ. It talks, it talks about how he was not going to be handsome. That's what the word common, you know, beautiful. And it says, and when we shall see him, there, there is no beauty that we should desire. And think about this, man. Most of the kings, and we already read about Solomon, how he was arrayed. And he was handsome, and he was rich, he was balling out. And just to be quite frank, man, people are attracted to this this uh, this type of looking brother, this type of looking person. Anybody that's handsome, rich, flashy, or whatever, we're attracted to that. But the Most High sent Yahweh shy, not looking like this, not handsome, not desirable. He wasn't uh, decked out. In fact, we read the uh, Nation Knows No Color line. The author says that the reports that he got, he said he read, got it out of the Josephus. I looked into Josephus. I believe it's been removed. But the description that Josephus, Josephus gives about Christ has Christ being a midget and hunchback with a long face and an immature beard. That's the accounts that Josephus gave. That this, this author in the book, Nature Knows No Color Line, gave the same description because he's uh, citing the source. Josephus is where he got it from. But it goes hand in hand with what we're reading in the Bible when it says, um, read this again, Isaiah 53, verse 2, but he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form of commonness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire, man. Because remember, the Most High told uh, Samuel that the eyes of the Most High are not like man's eyes when he went to find David to be king. He was looking for one of David's other brothers that was tall and handsome and what had the wealth to be. Not, this, not David, who they, in the scriptures, called him like a runt, basically. But this is why the Most High had to send Christ, man, to show that it wasn't about how he looked. But he knew, he knows our people. Our people are attracted to this type of thing because remember Saul was picked because he was a tall and handsome dude. But the most I was like, no, man, 
I'm not giving that much, giving them that much leeway. They're just going to have to believe. I'm going to send this, this broke-down, ugly-looking dude, and they're just going to have to believe what he's saying. Anyway, uh, reading on, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And was this, and I'm sorry, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And our people did, man. We hated Christ. We hated Christ because Christ was telling us the truth to our faith about ourselves, and we didn't want to receive it. All right, verse, uh, we jump to verse 7, y'all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened out his mouth. This is talking about the death of Christ. When he was beaten, when Pontius Pilate beat, beat the hell out of him with the uh, cat of nine tails, he ain't say nothing. When Pontius Pilate questioned him, he ain't say nothing. He was like, man, you say it. You can't get a Jews. He's like, you say it. He ain't say nothing. He didn't go against anything he was accused of doing. It says, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? But he was cut off of the land. Of the land of the living Meaning he was martyred He was sacrificed And it tells us why It says for the transgression Of my people was he stricken So why did Christ die Because of our sin Because what we were doing against the most high Now remember y'all This is going hand in hand I'm going to go back there real quick Second Ezra chapter 7 verse 29 After these years Shall my son Christ die and all men that have life. So 400 years would, would pass. Remember, from the time of uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then they went back to rebuild the first temple all the way up to the time of Christ's death was 400 years. And he says, verse 29, After these years shall my son Christ die, and all men that have life. So we're just dealing with the death of Christ right now. We're definitely going to get to the all men that have life part. So still dealing with Christ. What verse will we end? Uh, verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? But he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave. So Christ's death. So we already got it. As we prophesied about his death. Now the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about Christ's death. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was an innocent man. That's why Pontius Pilate said what? He wiped, He said he washed his hands of the matter, because he said that Christ was innocent. He knew that. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall, shall my righteous, righteous servant justify many. And that's what Christ did. Remember, Christ is the intercession between us and the Most High. It says, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is only pertaining to one nation, y'all. I don't know where people get this 
he died for the whole world stuff. Well, I know where they get it from, but that's not accurate. That's pagan Christianity. That's not the truth of the Bible. The historical accounts of the Israelite plight. All right, well, you know, it says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And who did he pour his soul out to? To the Israelites. Like it tells us all throughout the New Testament, he said, I'm not sent but into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, salvation is of the Jews. It says, he shall save his people from their sins. That's all in the Gospels, man. The Savior of Israel, behold, the anointed Savior. The Savior is all throughout the Bible. Anyway, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So he, even though Christ was perfect, he still would, was numbered with us. <laughs> he was one of us, even though he did no wrong. It says, and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressor. So what it talks about him making intercession means he's the go-in between between us and the Most High, so we might be redeemed back to the Most High as his people. It's never been where the other nations were redeemed to the Most High as the Most High people because they've never been his people. It's always been the Israelites being redeemed, reclaimed, saved out of whatever captivity we was going through, back to the Most High. That's been consistent all throughout the scriptures. So let's deal with that. Let's get Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. <clears throat> and it reads, Who is he, I'm sorry, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, Rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We just, read, we just read the same exact thing in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12. Hope y'all seeing this. Why the church tell you what? Oh, in the Old Testament. You can't read from the Old Testament. But you see why they don't want you to read from the Old Testament? Because now they can't. They can't make everybody exclusive to salvation. Everybody's not exclusive to Christ now. I'm sorry, inclusive. Everybody's not ex, uh, inclusive to Christ now. When they tell you to don't read the Old Testament. Because you read the Old Testament, you find out that Christ is very exclusive to the Israelites. And he's not exclusive to the world. So that was Romans 8.34. Let's get Hebrews chapter 7. It's going to say the same thing. Matter of fact, let me, let me put it in real quick. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I am about to beat a dead horse. Yes, I am. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. For the few, man. It's all throughout the, especially the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. And it reads, by, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. No doubt. Uh, reading on, verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not uh, suffered to continue by reason of death. So they're talking, right here is talking about 
the priests, uh, the Levites, that were of the Levitical priesthood before Christ. But it says that they couldn't continue. Why couldn't they continue? Because they died. Now watch this. But this man, because he continued ever, continuous ever, meaning what? Forever. Continuous ever. It reminds me of the old joke Richard Pryor told when he said he went to prison to visit people in prison. And he asked this one brother, he said, how long were you in for? He said, ever. <laughs> Richard Pryor said, man, you know, ever is a long time when you take the four off of it. Well, Christ is forever, ever our priest. You read this, verse 24. But this man, talking about Christ, because he continued ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. See this. Wherefore he is able also to save them uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Who's the only people historically known to have to have somebody make intercession between them and their God? That would be the Israelites, y'all. That would be no no other nation but us. Now, that right there, y'all, is the 60-second mark. I think I'm going to stop here, man, because this is a good place to stop. And I need to honestly go back and get a little bit more research before we continue to dive in into that uh, second Ezra chapter 7, y'all, <clears throat> to bring some more clarity out on that. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I apologize, y'all, for going so long with the news. Uh, not really. It was fitting. Um, hope y'all got some edification out of that. Hope y'all understand what real black history is. It's biblical history, definitely. Uh, I'm understanding out of the class. Um, the Waterman Shop for hooking up the broadcast. Uh, if y'all got any questions, y'all can hit me up at 314-482-9110. And uh, until next week, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Talk About Tuesdays, Talk About Tuesdays, Talk About Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, we're going to say shalom.